I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute drowning in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share podcast is brought to you by Send It Philippines. Send It is the leading payment gateway in the Philippines. Allow your business to accept payments seamlessly from cards, e-wallets, retail outlets, and local banks. For more information, visit sendit.co. Also powered by Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. Sign up now at podmetrics.co for free and use the code HUSTLESHARE. Treating it as a business and having to involve myself in every aspect made me realize, okay, it's actually about producing or making things that are valuable to people. Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now, here's your host, Ronster Beithyong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Share Podcast. We are now with the big boys. have been around for quite a while, but man, oh man, oh man. The last batch of those people that have been to YC. And prior to this latest batch, again, there's a few more now that's currently going through. We'll, we'll talk to them after their whole YC experience. But unprecedented, just like the Olympics for the Philippines now. This batch, we've had two of the three year before the first one was Avion School I think we did that late last year this is free YC and then early this year we went to the Dash Lab Boys and now we're going to be talking 
definitely not the least and definitely not the last. But they just released $1.6 million as we speak. So let's welcome to their show, Don Pensacola and Aldrich Tan of Next Bay. Cue the laugh track. Oh, there we go. Oh, there you go. That's the last one. Hey, Rod, sir. What's up? <laughs> How's it going? It's been a while, guys. How, was How are you? Good, good. This is kind of crazy for us right now where we're at and, you know, the things that we're dealing with. No, really excited. Really happy to be here as well. I think uh, it timing works out. We just announced our uh, fundraise a few weeks ago. And, uh, Amazing. Ready to do some awesome things. Awesome. Now, before I get carried away i need to ask you the 1.6 million dollar question aldrich and don what's your hustle so uh what next pay is is we are a digital banking suite for small businesses and entrepreneurs any entrepreneur small business and even medium-sized companies can sign up for a next pay account for free and you can use us to send invoices to your customers you can collect payments from them through the invoice, through different payment channels, credit card, bank payments, e-wallets. Money makes its way into your NextPay account, which serves as an alternative to a traditional corporate bank account or more likely the CEO's personal bank account or your personal bank account. <laughs> if they're running it like a mom and pop. Exactly. And yes. then from there, you can use that money to pay your employees, your suppliers, and bills. And um, we do a really good job there, especially because we can disperse in batches to any bank and any e-wallet in the country, which is something that your typical corporate payroll account in a bank can't even do. No, that's true. And again, this, this is a totally particular problem that needs to be solved again. We've had so many people here that, that talked about the Philippines and then its unbanked population of people that, again cannot be served by traditional banks. And that's why, you know, neobanks started to appear. But now, one thing that needs to be addressed also is if we already have that problem, imagine the underground economy that's not surface, you know, that don't get to, you know, uh, really put their business out there. They're just starting out. But at the end of the day, they do have payroll to make, you know, a staff of two, five, whatever. But you don't have a solution. That's a whole nother problem. And now during lockdown season again, how are you even going to get that done? My, my fiance, for example, again, she's scaling up her team, her biggest problem. And I'm going to definitely recommend you guys to her. She goes, how the hell is she going to do payroll without a corporate banking account? And one thing that you need to do explore that on is as you scale, you need to invest in this. Now, Aldrich, I know this is something that we need to discuss and down the road, we will be discussing this in detail in the next coming thing. But I need you to buckle up, my guys. All right. Because Artie Lopez, his, his presence, I think, is somewhere around us <laughs> for some reason. I feel that that guy is somewhere around us. And he thinks he runs around like he's Kang the Conqueror. Okay. We also have a freaking space time machine here because today we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share time machine. <laughs> Okay, that was really weird because I didn't tell you why we're right, why we rode the time machine because we want to go all the way back and discuss who you were prior to next pay. I want to understand the origin story. 
Wolverine style. Now let's start with Aldrich because you've been here for a good five minutes now. You didn't say shit yet. And <laughs> <laughs> I was I was gonna say shit about the, the, the lockdown. My bad. Stuff, we'll do that in a bit. Let, but we went back part. in the time machine. So right. Sorry, my we'll go bad. Forward back in time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Aldrich, again, talk to me about growing up. What was that growing up? What, did you ever have an inkling of being an entrepreneur? Because there's one thing common about you guys. I know you you grew up where. Edward and Bella was nearby, you know, um, in the in the woods in Are the they Pacific. Canadian? No, but borderline. The, oh. the vampires in cross border <laughs> pretty pretty close. Got it, got right? it. <laughs> or Sasquatch country, right? Or in six oh four. So I know I know the area code pretty well. True, true, true. What was that like growing up? What was that like growing up for you in 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 uh, in Van City, like a Canuck? Yeah. Um, yeah. To be honest, it was it was great. Um, but uh, I, I was actually born and raised here in the Philippines. So oh. I went to school here. Uh, I did like grade school and high school here in the Philippines as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just in the earlier parts of my childhood. Um, I grew up as well uh, in Vancouver uh, area. So, you know, um, I guess to be honest, like it was nice. Um, it, 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 it really kind of opens your eyes to more cultures I, I would say it makes you a little bit more worldly in that sense because I, I get a, I get to experience so much and you know Vancouver as a city is so diverse with so many different cultures right so you gotta you, you get like a little buffet of, of culture there it's kind of cool and it's the most Asian country outside of Asia I heard uh, yes. that, that, that uh, you'd see but I'll just dig in a little bit on that so you grew up here right so you yep. have a good perspective that's what I, I typically see with with People that have been uh, that have lived overseas, right? Grew up, grew up here, but what were your in early influences like, right? Because again, it's it's either you were influenced early by people that you know had inclination towards business, or you had to figure that out on your own. Mm, what was yeah, that yeah. like? Um, well, okay, so I guess I, I'm also Chinese by blood, so. Mm. There you go, business. Um, so that's my influence. <laughs> I'm Chinese, so you go All to right. business. Uh, but you, you know, yeah. I didn't say I, nothing. I would, you said that on yourself, my man. I, I'm not gonna deny it. Like, it's a very cultural thing, uh, especially okay. here in in you know as a Filipino Chinese, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I would say a lot of your parents would say, "Hey, grow up, um, open up a business, or become a doctor, a lawyer." You know, the mm-hmm. the standard uh, stereotype uh, mm-hmm. of things. Um, so when I was when I was uh, figuring out what I wanted to do in college, um, mm. I was just going to go the standard route of taking up business and figuring it out from there. But in Canada, that's when I kind of came across uh, the, the program that uh, where I met Don. Uh, mm. And it was all about like interactive arts and technology. And um, so again, I had, for me, my background now is in design, UX, right. uh, user experience, customer experience, branding and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, growing up, I did not know that I wanted to do that. I did not know that I wanted to be a designer or open up my own business or startup or even be in fintech, right? But I just knew that I wanted to do something. And then, you know, in college, that's when I knew that I wanted to pr- pursue design. But um, I'm just going to give you the like the really fast forwarded version of right. it. But uh, I wanted to take up design. But, you know, Don and I also, um, we met in those classes, us both being Filipino. I picked that up right away. I, I knew that. I, 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 Was I, I he pointing using his mouth? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, hmm, that's a Filipino right there. Yeah, so... 
that, that's a that's a fun little game I played in the mall as well. I would just uh, go to like and see who would turn around and see all the Filipinos just like oh, see um, So uh, it was fun. But um, we we knew that like, oh. I, I I sensed a disturbance in the force in the room, and then I saw this Pinoy guy there, and I was like, oh, you Pinoy guy, and he's like, yep. And I'm like, all right, friends at Tayo. So amazing. You know, there there was that. Um, but we also joined uh, an entrepreneurship organization, which had a lot of influence in in what we did and how we pursued uh, projects uh, or even freelanced as, as mm. designers or creative folk. And mm. I would say that that really shaped how we viewed things. Mm. And that's why we always kind of had a knack for entrepreneurship. There you go. All right. Let me just uh, wind the time machine back, go Ken Cocker again. But this time I'll go back now to Don's perspective. Was he really the charming Filipino that Aldrich was using? Or was he a creepy Filipino like Ray Ripundo? <laughs> right. So, what was your origin story like, um, Don? Uh, but have you seen the Loki series, um, Kang the Conqueror? Yep. No, you haven't. I have. I have. I have. Yeah. That's why you do a lot of Kang references yeah, right now. Amazing. So, if you're, I got to see it as well. If you yeah. are listening to this and you haven't watched the Loki series, not my fault. Okay, we didn't. Spoiler: I, I haven't watched it. I'm leaving. Okay, Loki <laughs> is. Alive. That's all you need to know. <laughs> okay. And so is Kang. But, but he, he's just keeping it low-key. Got it. Right. There you go. <laughs> Pun intended. There you um, go. Yeah. So I think uh, the charm, the the good looks, the dashing, uh, wow. suave. Um, no, I don't know. I, I don't know what Aldrich saw in me, but... Uh, no, no, no. I, I had all of that. Yeah. <laughs> but so did I. I'm just kidding. Like, yeah. I was drawn uh, to him. And then he was like, are you even Filipino? And then I was like, yeah. It's like, okay, fine. You can be my friend. So I think uh, if you were to frame it that way, then that would be a more accurate story. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I think uh, we, we is because, you know, you go to a new university, you don't have many friends. So you are automatically drawn to people who have similar backstories or origin stories. And I guess you could, maybe I could start out by telling you how my story, you know, leading up to that moment when I first sure. uh, saw Aldrich. So you could say my, my Canadian origin story began in a little small town called Kawit Cavite in the Philippines. Wow. And I was that actually sounds born very Canadian. <laughs> sounds yeah, yeah. very north. <laughs> um very, very. So no, I was actually born in the Philippines, like Aldrich. Okay. And I grew up here, spent all the way up to high school, graduated here. And you could say during my time, um, I got a lot of influence. I was influenced a lot by my dad. My dad was an entrepreneur himself, himself a serial entrepreneur. Wow. During his time, he's founded three bars. One of them ended up being like the go-to bar at the time that one of them, another one was... You got to name drop this because again, in the presence, somewhere in somewhere out there, Arti Lopez bars, that sounds very, very <laughs> synonymous, right? Which bar is this? You got to name drop, man. Sure, yeah. So if I recall, one of them was called Billboard. And that Billboard. one was the first ever bar in the Philippines or first ever place in the Philippines that ever aired MTV. Wow. And there was another bar called the Rodeo Drive. I think that's what it's called. Mm. It had a little bull, you know, mechanical bull. Right. And then right. another one called Boys Town. Um, Boys Town. Whatever you want to, you know, uh, think about it. So, <laughs> anyways, um, but he's also done so many different things. Like he actually brought about cable TV in the, in the province of Cavite, mm. as well as Barakai Island now has cable TV because of him, right? So that's oh. way back. And you can say he's been doing a lot of things and I kind of learned a lot. But mm. I think it wasn't, I wasn't really entrepreneurial at all until when I was in university. And I remember I was thinking of developing an app mm -hmm. and I just emailed my dad, you know, cause my dad was still in the Philippines at the time while I was sure. studying here or rather in Canada. 
And then I can't remember exactly what the idea was, but I remember the response my dad sent to me in my e- and the email that you know he sent me. Okay. And in bold, he's like, that's my entrepreneurial son, exclamation point, <laughs> among the other things that he put in the email. But that stuck to me. And I was like, wait a minute, what I'm doing is entrepreneurial. It yeah. seems quite obvious, but for some reason that didn't really occur to me. And I was like, okay, I can actually be an entrepreneur by building technology, by building tech products. And so that kind of set me in that whole mindset of, okay, what else can I build? Maybe it's an app, maybe it's a website or web app that can actually be, you know, along the lines of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that I did work with Allrich in a few other things, like we had our own de- design and development agency. And, uh, you know, uh, we, I learned a lot. And from mm-hmm. there, I also ended up endeavoring in other entrepreneurial things. Got it. All right. Now, let me ask you a couple of things. And you guys can decide who wants to take a stab at it first. Because, again, as a young 20-something, and you're all in can- Canada at this point. And at the end of the day, no matter how much we say that, you know, it, it's an equal world, there will always be an Asian ceiling, right? You know, a bamboo ceiling, there's always going to be a, a handicap for Asians to, doing that, uh, be, being in a different country. How difficult was it trying to, you know, um, get where you went? Aldrich, in Aldrich's point of view, you were trying to do design. And, and Don, you guys, you were collaborating. But what were the first things that you were doing and what was the chip on your shoulder coming out of college that you guys were, were doing? It's an interesting question. Yeah. Um, I don't see in color, so I don't see this. I don't know what this, this disadvantage you're talking about. I'm just kidding. Um, but, um, <laughs> well, <laughs> did you have manifest no, so, destiny all this time? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I guess for me, like, I just really wanted to, I guess I, I had a lot to prove to, to myself at the very least um, that I could become a really solid designer. Um, I think my frustration overall, my chip on the shoulder was really just towards bad design <laughs> as a whole or just bad branding. Like I, I just really attached myself to like, oh man, more people need to know about good design and just good products and good UX practices and all of that. Mm. I wouldn't really, I, I can't think of anything like cultural per se, mm. or just even being an Asian in North America. Obviously, that has its nuances, but when it comes to like my career or, or anything like that, I don't recall um, experiencing any any anything like that. But I think it may have also um, come with, uh, I, I guess, just the ability to kind of sell uh, my sure. services as a designer or a freelancer mm-hmm. or anything like that. So I, I don't think I had any crazy adversities there. Got it. But what was the grind for you? What did you do obsessively? to address that chip on your shoulder to, again, if you're obsessed about design and mm-hmm. you got to put in the dirt and the, the hustle in between while you're studying out, because at the end of the day, you're not the only ones out there. There's a yeah, absolutely. trove of good designers out there up north. You know what I'm yeah, saying? So uh, what was that like? Okay. So for me, um, it was uh, juggling a lot of projects. Um, mm-hmm. So Don mentioned we even like ran like an agency together. Um, we we had a few friends that we started businesses with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really just learning as much as I could about the whole design process and how that even ties into business. So I freelanced a lot. I did a lot of pro bono uh, projects um, for for nonprofits just so I can get a sense of how business is done. Um, and then I worked full time. So I, I was just like working and and doing design projects all day long, all night long. 
uh, all weekend long, right? And just really absorbing and becoming um, an expert in that field, so to say, uh, so to speak. Um, but yeah, and I guess we just never really stopped learning and improving our craft. Uh, I, I, of course, tried my hand at, at development as well, but in the end, I just got Don's help to, to finish my homework. Got and it. I did just... tech guy. Give it to the tech guy. <laughs> yeah, right. Give it to that guy. I'll just pay him in food and friendship and, <laughs> uh, and turn it worked out great. <laughs> All right. Now that's mind. the entrepreneurial son, right? So if Don was obsessing over design, what were the early grind for you like? Because again, people that code, they, they obsess over these things. They bring this back at home and you know, people think people think that oh, he's spacing out again. He's trying to figure out that code and yeah, uh, why why things are aren't working. There's a bug. Which line of code didn't didn't work? But for you, Don, what was the early grind like again? What was the that that uh, chip on your shoulder also? Uh, you were also back in six oh four, way up. Yeah. Long. So you know, like all rich, I don't. I can definitely say you know it wasn't so much about a cultural chip in my shoulder that I wanted to kind of. You know, um, ultimately for me, like many people early on, I got into entrepreneurship for the sake of wanting to be an entrepreneur. And Mm. that I think is actually a really bad way of going about uh, business. And so that led me down a path of doing many different entrepreneurial things that may not necessarily have been very impactful or something I was passionate about. To give an example, I ended up working on a mobile app um, called Quick Pick. Um, and yeah, and it is just a very simple. No, okay. (laughs) Sounds like a quick wire spinoff. Just kidding. (laughs) And the spelling is quite similar too. Uh, honestly, the spelling is horrible for at least what we ended up doing. It was like quick Q U I K and then pay P I Q. So no one could spell it. Uh, bad branding, but the idea there too, by the way, so Sounded like dick pic, so pretty close. Maybe that actually could help with uh, people remembering the name, but unfortunately, we never even got it to a stage where we could raise money. We built a working app. Mm -hmm. The idea was a stupid app where you could take a, if you wanted to make a decision, like which shoes did I, you know, would I buy? Take a photo of it and then blast it out to your your friends and then they get to vote. So, you know, quick pick. That's the idea there. Yeah. Um, I was was one of the early adopters of quick pick. I mean, to to support my friend, right? So, (laughs) but um, that was also around the time that that Rebecca Black song. Friday. uh, Friday came out. Yeah, yep. yeah, and she was like, "Should I sit in or the back seat?" So that's one of the <laughs> that's one of the quick picks that I did. <laughs> which which seat? What did you think, yeah, the yeah. front seat so, or the back? Um, seat? <laughs> I think I'm in the front seat now. That's oh for sure. wow, wow, wow! Yeah. Fun, 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 indeed, right there. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. To even to even um, I did a housekeeping company at the time. So, mm-hmm. uh, the idea was we provided luxury housekeeping company, and I essentially. Uh, was focusing on making this a tech specific or tech oriented mm. housekeeping company. But, and then, you know, uh, a number of other things like another creative agency. So you could say I did a lot of things, but I found later on that what really um, got me most excited was building things that many people could really uh, appreciate and, and uh, find meaning. So treating it as a business and having to involve myself in every aspect from producing the product to marketing, to organizing all these events made me realize, okay, it's not so much about uh, just the entrepreneurial pursuit. It's actually about producing or making things that are valuable to people. And so I think 
over time, and I can clearly say right now, what matters more to me is not so much about being an entrepreneur, but it's about building something that I really think would help people or would provide value to people that as many people as possible can actually make use of. So I think that's it's kind of shifted to a more, from a shallow standpoint, at least the way I see it, to a more deeper, meaningful uh, pursuit. Yeah, definitely. And, and your, your, your journey evolves. And I just want to track back. And this is one thing I really wanted to ask you guys, because you started very early and you, you jumped off the cliff of entrepreneurship pretty young. And the degree of success at that age, given the trajectory, you know, most early starters go through is there's a lot of pain involved, right? Not a lot of people make it. Plus, you always have, as a young 20-something, mid-20s, early 20s, even a little late 20s, one thing that a lot of startup founders that I know, because I went through the same process, is battling your own insecurities, right? Because, you know, at the end of the day, shit, I want to be a startup founder, but there's so much uncertainty over your own self that you have to battle with. Did you have any type of experiences over that? And what were those things that you wanted you had to overcome as a as a founder because all those insecurities sometimes can manifest in the business and the type of decisions you actually make are you just stroking your own ego or are you really that leader that the startup provides or the startup needs what was that like for you guys oh 100% uh, i think that insecurity will always happen i would even say that insecurity may exist in like jeff bezos and elon musk yep. especially more so that you know, with us at least, and most entrepreneurs, you you can look at more successful entrepreneurs and follow their path, and see what worked for them and follow that. But for someone like Elon Musk, who's doing what literally no one on earth has done before, and you're leading the charge of humanity, you could say, like, am I doing the right thing? Is this gonna work? You know, so I'd say it still exists in them. To hundred percent, I really believe that there is uh, always gonna be that insecurity of am I doing the right thing? But I would say it's gotten a lot better. As uh, time goes by, as you kind of get to know yourself more, what you are capable of doing and what you know your weaknesses are. I think one of the things that we've really uh, embodied and one of the things that Ulrich and I have really kind of uh, embraced was the idea that it's okay to not have the answers and to actually say, even to the people who follow you or, you know, who are in your team to say, I don't know. And in fact, I think Ulrich and I, we say that quite a lot and that's, very liberating. In a way, it requires a degree of humility to say, I don't know. But then at the same time, you can't just say, I don't know. And that's that. You got to pair it with a, but we can find out. Or maybe ask someone else who does know if, you know, for what the answer to that question is. So I think in a way that kind of is embracing that, or rather the causes of that insecurity, which is a lack of knowledge in a certain domain, you actually embrace it. And that makes you less insecure because you know that other people can definitely help you out. Yeah, um, I, I just want to add, like you know, the the whole imposter syndrome is real, and I don't think yes. it'll ever really go away, right? Mm. Uh, especially as an early stage designer developer or somebody fresh out of college, you're 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 like, hello world, but at the same time, am I really good enough to get this job, or am I am I good enough? Am I going to meet the industry standard and not everything like that? So I think I guess depending on the the company that that you're applying for as well. You know, they they might totally jive with somebody who's humble enough to just recognize that hey, they don't have all the answers, um, right. and that's one of the reasons they they'd probably bring you on board. So for us, uh, there there was real hunger for for knowledge and just to get better at our craft. But at the same time, we know that we're not 
ever really going to be the best at it, right? And that's why right. we work with some really awesome people. Mm -hmm. uh, so they can guide us in, in that way or uh, they can do it themselves for us or with us. Um, yeah, and just help us out. Um, and it's really a collaborative mindset rather yep. than like, oh, I, I got this. Uh, I, I can do it all. Yeah. Got it. I would also add one practical, specific tactic. Mm -hmm. I think a large part of insecurity from for some people is they're not the best at something or someone's better than them at blank right, right? like absolutely there's a better doctor than me there's a better programmer than me if that's your mindset then that insecurity will come about but one thing that has actually really helped me out mm -hmm. is, so i'm a software engineer by trade but right. i am never going to be the smartest software engineer ever not even by a long shot but if you were to measure your skills in just that one metric then yes that's problematic but realize that there are other metrics that you can measure yourself against. And the combination of that is really what makes you unique. And the term there is called skill stacking. Like I may be a pretty decent programmer, but I also am a pretty decent you know, musician, very unrelated. Right. But if you combine the both of them, then I could be the best musician slash programmer, maybe even in the world. But at least I know within the vicinity of a mile, perhaps, right? So that combination of skill stacking is really what makes you unique. And I think that ends up, you know, allowing many people to find interesting niche opportunities that only they have an expertise in, maybe not just in programming, but the combination of programming and music and maybe cooking, you know? So right. I think understanding that concept has really helped me out a lot. And that's true yeah. because as startup founders, we, we can't be a, a, a one-trick pony, you are, you have to be a multi-potential, like, especially at the start, you're going to have to do a lot of things. So it can't just, you, you will have to have your go-to move. Yes. But dude, you got to have to have your, your counter step two, step three, step four, because as you build the company, you are everything that, that starts out and, uh, and, and set out with, especially in the first coming month. Now let's take our first break 100%. and when we come back, let's talk about how you guys went back and left the woods and the, the alpine look of, of, of Canada and went all the way back to sunny Philippines with all the coconuts and shit. So let's talk about that more after the break. Hey hustlers, it's been over a year and a half since the pandemic has started and completely bamboozled us because it changed and altered how business is done in the Philippines. But if there's a silver lining that I've seen, the businesses and startups that thrive now are those who are not just digital, but also make it easy for their customers to pay them. And the thing is, no matter how great you think your product is, your startup won't scale and achieve real product market fit if you don't do an omni-channel approach in getting your customers payments. Now, we've discussed so many options of how to get that done in this podcast already. However, what if you can just get that done using just one product? And that's why I highly recommend that you guys use Sendit. Sendit Philippines is the leading payment gateway in the country, and they allow businesses to painlessly and seamlessly accept payments from their customers. And these payment channels include credit cards, direct debit, e-wallets like Gcash, PayMy, and GrabPay, retail outlets, and pay later. Now, I'm not going to recommend this if we are not a user ourselves. We use Sendit in Podcast Network Asia and getting payments from our sponsors and also disbursing money to our podcasters. Now, it's not just us because there's a lot of legit Filipino startups that achieve scale that are using Sendit to get this done, just like our friends from Kumu. Now, if you're interested to use it for your business or your startup, we're going to make it very easy for you to get started because you are a listener of HustleShare. And that's why we're going to give you access to Sendit's SME program, which is Sendit's org-wide initiative 
to help our SME customers grow and scale. Through this program, they will waive up to 1.6 million pesos per business and free transactions just by signing up today. And it's only applicable to new Sendit merchants and for transactions excluding carts. So if you're interested, just click the link in the description box of this episode to find out how to join. So if you have a business or startup that's gaining momentum now, I highly suggest you start investing in this infrastructure like Sendit to allow you to scale, not just now, but for a post-pandemic world. All right, let's get back to the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact 24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact 24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at saschallenge.ph that's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back on the break. We are still with Eldritch and Don again, who now told us, you know, how, how they built in their career back in the 604, north of the border, always. But now I want to understand what, what led you back, because this is where I always have admirations for repatriates. Because a lot of the Filipinos that go abroad experience brain drain. And then, then Filipinos, their Filipinoism or uh, whatever you call that only happens whenever Manny Pacquiao is fighting, whenever Gilas is fighting, whenever Arnel Pineda is singing in Lollapalooza. You know, <laughs> they, they lose that sense of, of home. I understand why you came back because... Like you, the Roland Roland Rosses of the world, the the Ray Rapundos of the world. These are people who are doing a good life stateside or in the West, and then 
you know, decided to come back. I want to understand why you guys went back and what did you guys do? Sure. Uh, Rich, you want to, I can take it. Okay. So it, in 2016, Alrich and I were fortunate to have been able to head back to the Philippines for a vacation. Okay. At the time, uh, Alrich was based in Seattle, working for a really cool startup today called Remitly. Well, I don't know if they're a startup anymore at this point in time. Mm-hmm. And I took a sabbatical from my current workplace in Vancouver called OpenDNS. So when we met up in the Philippines, I'd like to give a shout out to uh, one of our good friends, Paolo Rentero. He Paolo. is uh, Paolo Rentero of TechShake and yep. Ignite. And uh, he essentially took both Ulrich and myself under his wing and showed us around the startup community, um, got to introduce us to a lot of the different things that were happening interestingly in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that made us realize a couple of things. Namely, that in at least for me, I was working for an internet um, security startup company. Yep. And I was working with some really, really smart, cutting edge people. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the problem that was being solved to me was a first world problem, internet security. But then having seen the real problems here in the Philippines from health, education, finance, <laughs> politics, this made me go, okay, I've worked and developed some very interesting set of skills that I'd like to put to use into something more meaningful and impactful. Unfortunately, as you said earlier, a lot of Filipinos are leaving the country and that whole brain drain is going on. So Alrich and myself, uh, we were like, okay, what can we do to change that? How can we give back to the Philippines? How can we do something that is really more meaningful? And how can we reverse brain drain into brain gain? Right. And so I'll take, I'll get, pass it on to Aldrich. Maybe you can talk about Startup Manila and everything else after that. Yeah, sure. Um, so, like Don said, um, you know, we, we were essentially solving first world problems. I, I wouldn't say Remitly is doing that um, because it's remittan- international remittances. Um, uh, but, you know, it's a lot of OFW sending money back home to their families and making it more accessible and easy, which I really align to. I, I, I really you know, bought into that mission. And just, I, I guess um, for both, for both myself and Don, we just really wanted to be more impactful with, uh, with the, our skills and our initiatives and whatever we could bring. Right. Right. Um, so when, after taking the trip uh, back here, back home, um, I think uh, Don mentioned Startup Manila and we, we, again, we saw the potential. We saw how many startups were coming up around that time. And obviously there's way more now than ever. Right. We also saw a lot of entries, uh, entry points of like foreign entities coming into the Philippines. Mm-hmm. We thought like, hey, um, how easy or difficult is it really to to start your own company here in the Philippines? And so we thought that we could kind of make a service for people like us coming back into the Philippines uh, to just get started with, you know, office space, hiring, um, you know, all the legal shit that the people got to deal with. Um, and we had we were kind of envisioning, you know, a very startup-y culture um, where there's a lot of co-working, co-living. Yep. It was just such a grand vision in that sense because mm-hmm. we really wanted to, to kind of help foster that startup culture here. So that was one of the things that we had planned and we, we had quite a few ideas that we really wanted to 
you know, to, to float and try building. Right. And I think we were both, again, very fortunate enough to, to have amassed a, a little bit of savings um, from our work. So we said, all right, let's just give it a few years. Let's see what we can do and kind of um, try and figure it out from there. Um, worst case, like if we fail miserably and don't do anything, I guess we could, you know, go back or just get jobs here in the Philippines or just go back to North America and Got try it. and get savings again. All right. Yeah. Well, what did you guys try to build? And uh, uh, what were the first things you, you came up with? Yeah. Um, so eventually, like, uh, again, with, with Paolo um, helping us and introducing us to some really awesome people in, in the area, we started to come up with a bunch of just random ideas. Um, and eventually, I'm, I'm again, I'm giving just a very TLDR kind of version. Right. We we formed a, a little innovation consultancy oh. uh, called called Vessel um, with a few other co-founders, and okay. the idea here was um, to to one uh, create a few startup ideas um, and test it out. You know, we ha- we had a process for for coming up with a brand and, and doing customer development and finding certain niche problems that we could we could address through technology, and then the other one was also to help other companies innovate so they would actually hire us as consultants and we would you know uh, figure out the best customer experience for them the best product the best best brand positioning and all of that so a few really interesting uh, ideas came from that and that is eventually where next pay came from but yeah one of them uh, one of the more interesting ideas that we were toying around with was uh, was bloom brothers which is a flower delivery service for men whoa what what what's Bloom Brothers for men? So the target market, the people who are gonna receive it, are men. Uh it could be yes. Uh so basically, that that that's the the premise is um you know guys like us we just suck at giving flowers and gifts to to the women that we love right to our girlfriends. You to just our moms. never found out about dangwa didn't you <laughs> All right. no no we, we, we definitely we definitely so in UST, so that was two blocks away from where i was so I, i'm trying to get my swag on i was one couple blocks away and you rock it into the school like all right i have a bouquet and whoever's gonna receive it will be like a princess yeah exactly but uh, obviously there's dangwa but but they're not very accessible right like yes. to get from dangwa you gotta go to dangwa and that place is like it's crazy and it's so crowded <laughs> yes. and then like us guys the average dudes um yeah. who just suck at giving gifts we're we're just like or or if if we made a mistake or we want to say sorry to our girlfriends or we've forgotten our anniversaries or birthday <laughs> wow. or like oh shit, i need a last minute gift or something uh bro i i, I need help right so Oftentimes we observe that the, the typical behavior for uh, you know the average guy is to go to a florist or a flower shop, be like, "What's good for an anniversary? What's good for how to say sorry to to my yeah. girlfriend because I fucked up?" Um, so <laughs> we we thought we could make that experience um, because, because if I may, in contrast, if you were to go online to you know there's a number of online flower shops, yeah. you are loaded with so many different choices. And you know, super overpriced, my man. And know exactly what they want. And so it becomes a para- analysis paralysis right. or uh, and so on. Yeah. I mean, like, again, us guys, we don't know what the hell makes a good bouquet, what the flowers stand for. There's so <laughs> many meanings. 
if you have the one wrong flower in there, uh, you could get in trouble for that, right? But, yeah. but there, like each flower, each color, <laughs> there's so many different meanings. And how do you even package things nicely? Right. Um, we tried wrapping our own flowers, and we'll probably never do that again because it looks like shit. <laughs> so we worked with some really good florists uh, to wow. figure that out. And we thought we could solve that through technology. And actually, we, we could. But, um, you know, so the, the concept of Bloom Brothers was that you would go onto the site. Okay. You, you enter uh, who the recipient is. Is it your girlfriend, your mom, your dad, your brother, uh, your aunt, or a friend, a coworker, your boss, whatever. Got it. Uh, and what the occasion is. Is it, um, is it your anniversary or mm. um, what's it called? Uh, or Valentine's Day or a simple I love you or just because, happy birthday, whatever. Yep. And we, we had an algorithm that would kind of uh, change uh, or, or craft the perfect bouquet for you. And then you can have that delivered when you want and where you want it and it would wow. even remind you and say hey bro your anniversary is coming up you want to wow. buy okay you want to buy do you want to add them some uh, add on some chocolates to go with that uh so there was actually a there is a market for for dudes like us who just suck at this gift giving <laughs> stuff um and it was really really interesting because um uh. valentine's day we we did a launch uh, we worked with another company full of full of dudes uh, who really fit the profile of that and yeah it was it went really well um we we sold like a few hundred bouquets and just uh yeah it was it was really interesting it was a fun time got it but whatever what happened to that startup and how did that evolve into next way well so you might ask yourself how does flowers evolve into something to do with fintech well yeah. we needed to invoice is... our clients so mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well the answer is there is no connection at all. Okay. So, <laughs> so if we were to kind of go back up to the vessel idea, right? Right. right. Bloom Brothers was one, and um, there were actually a few other things. One of the other things was um, we were looking into how do we help people save money? How do we help people from a financial wellness standpoint? Got it. And so the let me actually kind of backtrack here by saying that. You know, when, when I moved to Canada uh, in 2006, I had moved there early enough to actually witness and experience the transition of Canada being a cash to a cashless economy, where in the beginning, we would use a lot of cash, but over time, you know, we had cards, we could now tap to pay in restaurants. And so I was able to see how that has really impacted people and the businesses uh, directly. And so Thinking about that, I've always thought, you know what, in the Philippines, we're really, really cash dominated. Sure, there's Gcash, sure, there's um, at the time smart money, but it's really nothing compared to what I'm seeing here in Canada. And so in my mind, I've always thought about getting into that business and borrowing a lot of the concepts that I've seen in both Canada and the States and implementing it in the Philippines. So that was in the back of my mind. And so while we weren't doing that directly, we were at least doing something related to financial wellness. So now coming back to, I guess, Vessel. Aldrich, you wanted to say something. Um, yeah, I guess, um, you know, so we were building or like while we were doing Bloom Brothers um, and building that, right? It was it was something to kind of test out the landscape and test the technological capabilities of what was available at the, at the time. Right. We were also looking into this financial wellness thing that uh, Don was, is, uh, is about to dive into. But um, we just learned so much from that experience. Um, you know, it, it could definitely become a full-blown business in itself, but we were really more intent on on something 
like within the realm of fintech. Uh, and we just learned so much from building a small business and how actually difficult it is to even manage your own small business here in the Philippines. Mm, right. Absolutely. And so yeah, it was definitely like I would say like it, it's it's a project that uh, that we wanted to pursue, but ultimately we didn't. Um, again, because we just saw so much more um, fun <laughs> and Got potential it. with, with NextPay. But um, yeah, it was huge, interesting learnings. Okay, what was that inflection point where you said, "All right, drop everything else, NextPay it is." And what 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 were their struggles? Because I know this is not easy. Because I remember first time I met you guys that I can recall was through that Kubo session that we did a, a few was like like last year. You were doing Kubo stuff, so I was like, mm-hmm. "What was that like?" When you said, "All right, here we are. Next phase it is." But what what was the dirt? Yeah. What was the um, hard parts? Like I'll speak again from the transition point of Bloom Brothers to to next pay, right? Okay. Um, so it was it was difficult uh, to be honest because again we didn't know shit about flowers and and that whole industry. It's a, it's a world on its own, and there are so many ideas brewing, but there's so many tech limitations or capabilities. And ultimately, because we were also kind of like poking around on different projects, um, we ultimately just said, "All right, we're gonna can this uh, this project." Um, I, I think we could we could probably chalk it up uh, as a failure in, in itself, and you know, like it's it's a thing that that had some validation, but we didn't really want to pursue it that much further, um, and so that's kind of the the turning point, um, also pragmatically. So maybe Don, you want to like jump in on on that part? Yeah. So I think one of the things we also recognized was you know flower business. It's cool, but again, leading you know. Pulling from what I mentioned earlier, it wasn't necessarily something we were passionate about, you know, because um, the impact was kind of limited. But another, also, another more pragmatic way of looking at it was what was the maximum ceiling of how many people we can impact? Mm. And what was worth putting all our energy and effort in? Because we knew that splitting up our efforts was not going to be um, good for either company. And we had to pick eventually. And mm. so we decided to instead drop Bloom Brothers and focus instead on this little fintech idea that we were currently working on. And mm-hmm. it wasn't even the same type of business model that we currently have today in NextPay. It was something wildly different. Okay. And you could say we kind of went on an evolutionary journey to become what we currently are today. Okay. So what, what was what was the first iteration? What was the first MVP like? And uh, was it a difficult time? Because you, you took an L. And any L, right, uh, that's going to cost time, money, and, you know, everything else in between. What, yeah. what, what was that like then? Okay, well, first, I think we should say that our first foray into this was mm. we wanted to, we came up with a North Star, you could say, okay. which is like, what is going to drive us in terms of everything we do? And okay. for us, that was financial wellness for every Filipino. We wanted to help people out in that sense. And then so we initially ventured into the business model of, robo-advisory. So to quickly explain what that is, today, typically, if you want to invest, you would speak to a financial advisor. They'd ask you questions. They'd know your risk profile. And then they'd essentially suggest what to invest in. Or they'll sell you insurance. That's what they call insurance. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, And they're not even, for the most part, financial advisors. Exactly. Right? So they they essentially, but now what robo-advisory allows you to do Mm-hmm. Uh, is to go through a website, go through that whole process without ever speaking to a person. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of that process, you can invest. 
Uh, now we found many problems in that space. Uh, I guess, for example, in the Philippines, it's not really going to work because for it to work, you'll need to have a really healthy stock market environment. But in the Philippines, not only are mutual funds very expensive compared to other places, not only are at the time there's only one ETF, but also right. a lot of trading in the Philippines is based on insider information, right? Yes. So it's very, very difficult to really excel without having to di- to dive into that space. Mm-hmm. And the more important thing for us was when we realized we, when we realized that when it comes to financial wellness, investing should be the last thing that people think of. So there's actually a process that we believe people should go through. The first stage before you get into investing is to have good cash management. That means spend yes. less than you make. Um, have an emergency fund. And then only after that, do you look into, okay, uh, how do I put loans? So that's debt management. And then only after then, do you go into risk management? So that's taking out an insurance, making sure that you're protected, you and your family. And then after, only after that, do you look into the last one, which is wealth management, uh, which is investing. The mm-hmm. problem is that many people are sold investment products when they're broke or they're in so much debt, or they're just not financially ready to even think about investing. And so we found that the Philippines in general, unfortunately, has a lot, you know, like there's a lot of things people need to do before they even think of investing. And so we decided to jump to the very beginning, which is in the cash management aspect. And that's where we evolved into the first iteration or the first pivot was to same day pay. And then I'll pass it to Aldrich. Maybe you can take over here. Yeah, so um, we, with with uh, same day pay, right? Um, we through our all, all our research um, so far in the industry and just overall consumer behavior, we we found that like Filipinos just in general, or Filipinos people in general, honestly, um, just suck at saving their money. Yeah, that's that's, that's one of the pecha de peligro. Exactly, pecha de peligro. That 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 thing that fucking thing no so um so, <laughs> like i i think one one of the the ideas and it's actually the the reason why behind our name at, at first was you know people lacked access to their their salaries sooner than later and again because of pecha de peligro and they just suck at saving their finances they end up scrimping um on, on before payday yeah. um they don't eat meals uh, they 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 can't even make it to work because they don't have any more money to commute or any anything like that. Yep. So we were thinking, okay, well, what if we actually made their wages the 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 same the wages that they work for on that day accessible or a portion of it at least? Yep. And this is actually a model that we see in the U.S. and Canada and you know in Europe and actually I guess more developed countries. Yeah. Um, because yeah people are and it's really helping a lot of people there make ends meet and it's also um helping on the business side of things as well because if if basically the studies are are that if your employees are you know no longer have to worry so much about their finances day to day they're a lot more motivated they're a lot um you know they're they're a lot more focused at work so and less the, likely to seek greener pastures or find other jobs elsewhere Exactly. So mm-hmm. attrition rates are lowered. You it's know, retention, retention rate goes up. Mm-hmm. Uh, retention goes up. People are more focused. They're more happy. Morale is up. For for employers, they they spend less on training and recruiting, and because it takes a while for people to yep. get accustomed to their job, and then only for them to leave at the end of like the probation period or even before that for a, a job that pays slightly more. That's that's a, that's a problem, but that's not yeah. the the root of it, right? So we wanted yeah. to to kind of address that. 
Wow. But um, but upon I guess further like study and just really doing a ton of interviews mm-hmm. with uh, employees from all all walks of life, we found that honestly, like the next uh, the same day salary is 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 very very useful. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. But it's not the root problem root of the problem, and the root of the problem is behavioral. So got it. So you had that, and you said you had multiple iterations. What were the pivots like, and what did you what made you pivot? So I think the pivot, the pivots had a lot to do with just understand. So what we've been talking about were a result of mm-hmm. understanding the problems that we were trying to solve and yeah. the people who had those problems. And then realizing that the initial proposed solution we had were, was not adequate for solving that problem. So as Aldrich said, the same day pay, mm-hmm. we thought that was going to help, but turns out it was a band-aid solution. And it is the problem is really behavioral. What that means is that people just generally people know how to save, that they have to save money, that they have to invest, that they have to get insurance. Yeah. But yet during payday, they don't know, have discipline. Exactly. Prior to the pandemic, uh, restaurants reported 47% increase in sales during payday. Yes. You know, many people complain about being broke, but a mm-hmm. lot of them end up getting like the latest phones. So yep. I want to say though that there are people who are really stuck in a very difficult situation. That problem definitely exists. That's a hard problem to solve. But a lot of people, more than we realize, are capable of attaining financial wellness if we were to tackle it from a behavioral standpoint. So because of that, we designed a solution where we can help people automatically save money whenever they get paid before the money even gets to them. So automated savings so that the act of making the conscious decision to save is removed because that's very painful. And many people don't like that. You know, mm. it feels painful to save. Yeah. And so by automating that, we can make do it uh, without it and help people out. And then we were testing that out in the beginning of 2020, the pandemic hit. Mm. And when the pandemic hit, uh, the businesses we were testing the solution out with, or rather we were testing this out with employees of businesses, Got it. ended up honing in on the technology we built uh, as a byproduct to okay. be able to, to achieve this, which was a salary disbursement solution. So we had to build a technology that could disburse salaries to employees so that we could do the automatic savings. But when the pandemic hit, they just needed to yeah, pay the their- most basic f- function yeah. of being able to pay your, your people, especially because a lot of, a lot of uh, pre-pandemic, people were getting paid in cash. You're lucky to you get a check. You're <laughs> very lucky if it was wired to you automatically. Yeah, that luxury does not exist for a lot of companies. So, is when, getting a check considered lucky, really? Hmm. <laughs> no, now because dude, some people get paid in cash. All right, and and especially mom and pops, dude. I swear, the the they all still right. get paid in cash. So now, pandemic, yeah, yeah. that does not uh, make sense anymore. So, if that's a problem that surfaced out, what did you do as a team to capitalize on that with the pandemic? Yeah, so I, I guess it's worth noting, right? Like what what Don said, um, we businesses honed in on the technology that helped them kind of pay their employees because again it was at that point in time everybody was freaking out with the lockdowns they're like what the hell what do i do the banks are closed the pawn shops are closed nobody's allowed to go out it was really chaotic and i was i was joining all these viber communities and everybody's asking about payments like oh man i don't have my salary what am i gonna do right it was just it was crazy and I, we, we, we empathize with that. Like that, that sucked. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, at that point, it, it really wasn't 
the focus was not so much on employee wellness. It was really more employee survival. Yeah. Because everybody had to had to survive through this shit. Right. right? So um, yeah, and we, you know, we, we then said, hey, actually, we could uh, help you guys pay um, your employees in, in whatever bank account or e-wallet they did. Uh, mm-hmm. They wanted to get paid. Um, that way, you don't have to handle cash. You don't have to handle checks or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made it a lot easier for them. So that was a little bit of an aha moment nice. uh, for us when people were like, oh, man, yes, uh, I have maybe let's say I, I'm, a, I'm a business. I had like 20 people, um, f- four or five of them used like, uh, bank A, and then the others use bank B, bank C, somebody wanted Gcash. And, you know, we're like, okay, we'll just, just we can just pay them all, all together and save you so much time and fees and you don't even have to leave your house. Got it. Now, last couple of questions before we take our last break. What was the team composition like and how did you survive as a team through all these multiple iterations? Because not a lot of people, especially, you know, the first time startup entrepreneurs that, that we, we have here in the Philippines, survive even for their first pivot because again they're too raw and whatnot but what did you do right to to make it to the next couple pivots that you were able to do and what did you do product wise when you saw that all right so this is where we this is where the 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 path leads us of of being able to disperse salaries what did you double down on to get to, to to capitalize on it okay I think we made a lot of really good decisions in staying really, really lean. Got it. We are fortunate that with even our lean team, we were still able to uh, produce things. Like we could, like I can code, Aldrich can design. Um, we don't need to like hire a large team to do a lot of the things that we needed to do early on. Got it. But I think it's also very important to recognize the hard fact that Aldrich and I were fortunate to have had savings. And, you know, uh, I, I really want to kind of be, be straight up honest by saying that a lot, of, a lot of people get really bad advice, which is to follow your dreams, do what you yes. think is right, enough grit, you'll eventually get it. While those are true, there are also things that are left unsaid, which is how are you going to be able to pay for your bills? If you have a family, how do you support them? Cover your ass. Um, is your idea even something that can actually be scalable? Is that something that people would be willing to pay for? Exactly. And by recognizing that, I think that's really important for people to, to, to take to heart to succeed. So for us, we were fortunate in that sense, but we were also very, very careful with how we spent our time and money. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, we also were very reactive to our learnings and yeah. the problem space. So that's what made us willing to change or switch gears all the time. Got it. Um, but I would also say that our, you know, uh, the few people that we worked with in the very beginning mm-hmm. were super, super crucial and helpful. And, you know, quite honestly, we are really thankful for them putting their trust in us and essentially taking yes. a gamble in joining us over some other, like, at the time, higher paying job, right? So, right. well, if I may jump in really quick, right? Like, so, you know, like Don said that, like, I, I could design, he could code. But this is this is a reference as well, or uh, to what Don said earlier with like skill stacking, um, mm-hmm. because through our careers we were also exposed enough uh, to to multiple personalities throughout the company just to pick up on these other extra skills. Got so uh, up until recently, we were also doing a lot of product management, uh, mm-hmm. project management, 
uh, I was HR for a little bit, <laughs> which right. uh, which is not easy. Um, so th- there's there's that component to it. Mm-hmm. So we became generalists with with uh, or specialized generalists, um, I guess you could yeah. say, right? And then again with with the the early team members, um, shout out to Janil, Toby, MJ, for, for for joining us so early on and and really seeing the vision and just recognizing. Um, the the potential with the company and the experience that it, it could bring and what kind of growth that Don and I are are promising our our, our team members like growth not only as a company uh, obviously we can't guarantee that like hey we're not we're not guaranteeing that we're going to succeed and, and be a unicorn or anything like that but mm-hmm. we at least can guarantee that we will learn a lot of things along the way absolutely um yeah all right now again how did you double down when you saw that, that that was the opportunity, the pandemic, and you had something that a lot of people can use because that's not what you initially thought what it was for. Well, we certainly doubled our waking hours uh, <laughs> and divided our sleeping hours in two. Nice. Um, oh we spent a lot of time uh, in, in coding. You could say, I think early on, it was a lot of product building and slash manual processes. So fun fact, right now we currently we're a disbursement platform but very early on Aldrich and myself were using our personal bank accounts to send money one by one to each person wow. like it was very manual um uh, early on right and the willingness to kind of go through that whole process just to prove a model and to and to see if this is something people would be willing to pay for which we did super, super mvp mode basically yep yeah so everything was so manual and mm. Yeah, it it just worked. Yeah, I mean, it took a while. Now, now yeah. disbursements like they they go like fast. But then right. it took us a little while. But at the same time, it emulated that experience of like, hey, once you press send to all of these, you don't have to worry about it. We're gonna make sure it gets there. Awesome. Um, yeah, that was that was that was hard. Anyway, and then I think also what was interesting was that when we entered the space, we saw that you know what, paying salaries was just one. It was a problem of, you know, it's a large problem, but it was just one aspect. Yeah. We found that businesses, specifically small businesses, had problems collecting money from their customers, mm-hmm. managing the money. A lot of them, as I mentioned earlier on the show, used the CEO's personal bank account to do their professional businesses, right? Yes. So we decided to, okay, maybe we should expand and really help businesses, small businesses, holistically, because there exists all these financial services that typically only large companies have access to. Mm-hmm. leaving the small companies or entrepreneurs kind of in the dust. And that's where we ended up shifting. And so now we don't just do disbursements. We also do invoicing and we continue to add more value, more services to help um, the small businesses and entrepreneurs. Just to add again on that, like there's so many of these things, people just kind of got used to the status quo. They're just yeah. like, hey, like I, I mm-hmm. do accounting with, with an Excel or like pen and paper. And that's right. the way it's always been done. But does it really need to be like just so? So those are the things that we're also kind of challenging and trying to to bring into our platform. All right, all right. Now let's take our last break, and when we come back, let's talk about how you then took it from challenging platform, changing behaviors, and filling up the gaps of payrolls and collection and all that into YC, all the way to raising one point six million dollars. We'll talk about that more after the break. Hey, Matthew, Denmark, and Bethel here. Kailangan mo ba ng fresh and healthy take on life? Listen to our podcast where we talk about topics that help you become a better, wiser, and stronger person. 
The Grody Podcast is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Powered by Podcast Network Asia. Check us out after listening to this podcast. We're back from the break. We are still with Don and Aldrich, who then now told us how they were able to see the light at the end of the tunnel and went full berserk into everything and now took charge of this thing. But I want to understand, when did that traction start to happen? Because they always say it. And again, I got this from YC, from Michael Seibel, or Siebel. I don't know if I fucking said that the right way. Or uh, and, and Justin Khan, they always say it. And Gary Tan also, he always says it, that Product market fit feels like drinking off of a fire hose. There's so much demand <laughs> that you can't even fucking like do anything about it anymore. Did you have a fire hose moment? And what did you guys do to, to, to really uh, keep up with that demand? I think, yeah, you know, it's interesting that many people have different definitions of product market fit. Yeah. Some people think that product market fit is people are willing to pay for it. And that's yeah. that. Right, but the YC definition, and I think it is an accurate definition that people should think about, would be: Can you actually keep up with the demand? Right. And so, yes, actually, I wouldn't say so. To be to be clear, I don't think we've actually reached that state yet yes. of where we have so much demand that we cannot support it. Of course, we've reached moments, and like even to this day where you know we're, we're stretched out too thin where there's just so much things to do so many uh specific problems we need to solve but there's also other problems that need that have higher priority and need to be solved first yeah. so we're definitely there but maybe to answer your question um i think early on in 2020 especially when the pandemic came around that's when you know we had businesses referred to us for our disbursement service and that's when we realized, okay, this person was a real problem and many businesses literally could not pay their employees if they could not, if they didn't have access to our service. Yeah. We have currently today companies who are still using us and they've started, they've used us since the very, very beginning. So once they've started using us, they essentially stay with us and we've become super embedded in their, in their processes. Right. So I think that's kind of speaks about like what we're building and how useful it is and how I, I really believe that if our company decided to just disappear, I mean, not only would be they would they be like, hey guys, like what the hell, you stole our money, but they'd also be like, um, <laughs> we need you guys. We need our, we need a similar service that yeah. can do what you guys, you know, do. Um, and so I think we've done a really good job in finding this niche and this and defining a problem space that we're adequately solving. Absolutely. Now I want to understand because again, YC, right? Talk to talk to us about your pre-YC journey, because I think you, you were trying to do something like a little YC here prior. But what made you decide that, all right, let's shoot for the stars and get to the big boys and do the legit YC where they really, you know, uh, allow you to scale? I think when we say that we wanted to do a YC thing, it wasn't necessarily like the program or the accelerator that they do, but just the idea that we want to have a homegrown startup community that reinvests in itself where you have local investors and local startups working in conjunction right. and um, having that ecosystem grow organically from within. Yep. But then I think we realized that that isn't the ideal state. And, you know, unfortunately, if we were to continue on that path, 
it'll take forever until we actually get to a a really thriving startup ecosystem. Yep. I think uh, so. Before I kind of continue that, I did want to kind of explain like why we got into Y Combinator in the first place. Right. So, as we were building our product, one of our mentors, RT Lopez, ended up suggesting Ooh. that, "Hey, why don't you just apply for all these different incubators, accelerators?" So we did, mm-hmm. uh, and some of them actually uh, ended up, you know, becoming a good thing for us. Right? We won some competitions and whatnot. Y Combinator was something we decided to apply for on a whim. It was something like we weren't really thinking much of it, but you know, if we got in, that's fucking awesome. But really, like it, for us, it's like such an alien concept to be part of a prestigious accelerator like Y Combinator mm-hmm. to the point that we submitted our application late. And it's funny when you submit your application to Y Combinator late, it actually tags your application with a message that says, You submitted this application late, right? It they shames you. Yeah, <laughs> they have a special, I guess, docket for late submission. Uh, so we did that. Um, fast forward, long story short, after two interviews, both of them we thought we butchered. We ended up getting in, and um, wow, that caught us off guard. Like quite literally, when you know, after the second interview, we thought we butchered it, but later on we got a call saying, "Hey, you guys are in." Uh, it starts tomorrow. You know, um, boot camp is going to be five What? days straight, uh, and it's going to happen at. So we yeah. were just unprepared. The, starting tomorrow for them, but for us, it was like what 8 a.m. Uh, and then and then tomorrow meant 12 a.m. the same day or later. You know, like a, a oh few hours God. later. And then it was a few days in a row of like Don and I attending all these boot camp talks from time. 12 a.m. to like 4 a.m. Yeah, so it was on oh, Pacific wow. time. So we just like completely lost sleep and everything. Um, <laughs> like, if hey. I may add, uh, even before YC, though, we were also applying to uh, all these other programs, and right. then uh, and even before that, like during the the, I guess the middle of the uh, the lockdown, the first lockdown rather, um, we were also like taking part in the local uh, startup community with all these programs and um, incubators and and all that. And we, we really learned a lot from that. And there's just so much, uh, more knowledge, uh, pouring in and better practices and even investors and all that. Right. So we, we got a little bit of experience there in kind of like pitching, um, next pay overall and just like, you know, trying to, trying to grow and get more traction. Absolutely. Now, now now, let me just uh, sidestep a little bit because a lot of these the startups here again are early in in the game and but mostly we're doing this podcast for the next generation right those ones were in their first game or you know uh very early in the game or at least at, at the cusp of jumping in but what what's the main benefit of, for a startup you know joining an accelerator and incubator that that that's out there because there's there's a bunch of them out there Right, but what is a good incubator to join, and what what should your game plan be coming in for you to maximize that experience? I can honestly say that Y Combinator has advanced our agenda by maybe two years. Wow! Where prior to getting into Y Combinator, we were actually raising money, and we were raising something like two hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Yeah. Compared to the 1.6 million we did, we had some commitments, but it, we didn't fill it out just yet. Okay. But getting into Y Combinator opened up a lot of doors. Um, yes. Sure, you learn a lot of things from their boot camps, from their talks, but these are mm-hmm. things that you could find out yourself by watching um, school. startup school and YouTube yep. or reading blogs. 
Uh, although you could say the feedback loop of being able to actually ask questions and get responses unique to your problem was good. But generally, the knowledge you gain is nothing like really significant. But the fact that Y Combinator picked you means that the spotlight is on you. And it just makes it so much easier to raise money from other investors, investors who would not uh, otherwise have even heard of you, right? Like this is something that I think was very important in our fundraising journey. So I, I think Y Combinator would be a really good uh, vehicle for that, but there are other accelerator programs as well that can do that. Although my understanding is that Y Combinator still today is the most prestigious of the bunch. That's Harvard Business School for you. Yep. Cram de la cram. That's the, the Canadian in you. All yeah. <laughs> about. Um, so you know, um, like like what Don said, right? The I I think uh, one of the things that that really really helps is, is just the environment that you're in. You're 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 kind of in the race uh, with or in the, the cohort and the learning program with other startups who just want to make it big and who want to make an impact and they just want to do some really cool shit, right? Yep. So learning from your peers. Um, knowing that you're not alone in this uh, and like other founders are also going through the same yep. problems, you get that support system. Yep. Plus YC has amazing mentors. Like these are some of the smartest people on the planet, probably, you know, like yeah. they're, they're giving out, cutting out some of their time. Um, they're giving you the time of day for you to ask them for, for some advice um, and, and just tell you, Hey, you're, you're being an idiot founder right now. Don't do that shit. Or you'd be like, yeah, here's what you could do. I think that guidance and that mentorship was absolutely valuable for us. And obviously the overall network and, and the tools that we've learned, like, I remember when we joined, uh, the YC Slack and then, um, you know, uh, just looking through the, the YC database, there's just so many cool startups from YC that are offering like um, tools and, and I guess premium experiences for other YC companies, right. right? And so that's another huge value add. Like we, it was just stepping into another dimension of like, okay, there's all these other hundreds uh, or thousands of, of mm. uh, tools that we could use um, to our advantage. And that was also really, really amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if there was a... Filipino startup now again the the current batch I think there's one Mad Eats so congratulations uh, I'm not sure who, who else made it uh, but we'll we'll find out we'll definitely uh, we'll get we'll put, mm-hmm. put, keep you updated in we the, know who they are, but we ain't telling <laughs> okay yeah. all right we'll see Abangan. But, <laughs> but that's good to see there's a trend now that that's coming in but if they're they're in what what would be your tips for Filipino startup founders who who cracked the code, you know, um, to get in, to have a better chance at getting into YC. I could start. It's okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, go for it. Sure. Um, that was us being Canadian, by the way. Um, so, oh, no, no, you go ahead. Um, sorry. Sorry. Oh, sorry. 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 <laughs> sorry. Sorry for being sorry. No. Um, you know, like, it's really one of the things that they look for is if these founders that they're interviewing are passionate and kind of know their shit or know the market and um i i I imagine they also see like okay is this guy this these founders uh, or if you're a solo founder or whatever does this team have the grit needed and the drive needed to really really make shit happen and if if plan a doesn't go according to you know how they wanted it to what Mm -hmm. are they going to do about it right and how are they going to be resourceful about it 
Um, mm. And obviously, are these people coachable, right? So yeah. I think going into YC or any other accelerator program, you have to have this, this sort of mindset of um, just being open and to unlearn everything that you know and be challenged there. You may know, you know, you may have X amount of experience in, in your field, but, um, you know, something new could just completely undo everything you, you, you thought you knew. And so just go into these programs being completely open-minded about it and be prepared to be told that you're wrong or you're being an idiot and you have to change. Yep. Don't get attached to your idea. We've seen some YC companies completely pivot during the program or just like just like shut down, right? They're just like, fuck this, I don't, we're out. Or maybe they, they wow. realize like, or maybe they realize like their idea is just not going to work. And so they bow out, right? So Kind of to add to that, when you apply for YC, there's a special field in the application form that asks, "Do you did you have any other ideas that you were thinking of doing but didn't end up pursuing? Now, they specifically ask that because sometimes they might find instances where the original idea or one of the other ideas was better than the thing that you actually applied for. And so it's very, it's I wouldn't say it's common, but it's definitely a thing where people may end up entering Y Combinator but leaving with a very different product or idea or wow. business. Yeah. All right. Sounds it's good. Now, crazy. Uh, last question about YC. How do you ace those two interviews that you thought you butchered? You know, um, what, what do you say in those 10 minutes that you, you, you get with those guys? I don't know. We thought we lost. <laughs> we thought we, <laughs> I don't know what worked. Butcher <laughs> it. Butcher it. That's what you... yeah. I'm okay. kidding. Well, so I think first, you know, um, this side of the world is looking to be an exotic place for investors. Um, you know, the, the U.S. market is very saturated. And so a lot of investors are now optimistic and bullish about, you know, places like India, Indonesia has really taken off and the Philippines and Vietnam. And so there, you, we have that going for us. The thing we don't have going for us is that they don't know the problems that we deal with. One of our challenges in our interview is we had to explain to them the, the idea where you can't do BPI to BP, uh, BDO bank transfers if you're to do batch disbursements, Right. Um, that simple thing is just, it doesn't compute for them. So mm -hmm. having to explain that and then talk about how we're solving was kind of the challenge. But I think what really matters a lot would be showing that the problem is worth solving. We have the team that can actually solve it, whether it be soft and hard skills, so we can actually build product ourselves and not have to outsource it. And that the ceiling for whatever the business we're doing is high because you might have a really great team, a really great idea, but if the ceiling is really just a $1 million company, that's not really worth their time. Absolutely. So I would say that those are things that we would like to consider. Nice. All right. Now let's talk about that $1.6 million check that y'all just raised. So again, YC opened the floodgates. How did you, what was that process like? And at the end of the day, fundraising again is a full-time job. How did you scale the product while you were fundraising? Well, that's all the time we have for tonight. So <laughs> <laughs> well, now a word from our sponsors. Okay. Um, hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again. And we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter you grow your own startup because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees and this bundle is your key to freedom including payroll outsourcing to experts a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software and government compliance services sprouts payroll starter
Kickstarter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey, hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Filipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoostTime deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn Earn in flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, hustlers. I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named FinTech of the Year at last year's Philippine FinTech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer. Trust Dragon Pay. I think, I think uh, we, we split up the time, the work. So for a while, I was 
figuratively speaking, living in um, the West Coast USA time zone while Aldrich stayed here in the Philippines. Sorry, to be specific, I was still physically here in the Philippines. (laughs) But you're in PST. Exactly. I was raising money. I was the one talking to investors. uh, And they were in that time zone. Whereas Aldrich was, you know, focused on keeping the lights on, you know, making sure that the business from product to sales was still functioning. So yep. it was really, really tough. Uh, that was one of the most stressful times of my life, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really get stressed often. So yeah. I think this is kind of like a big deal. It mm-hmm. was something we was really challenging, but I think we we did a good job there. Right. But what yeah, what are yeah, the questions? Came our lives. Yeah. What were the questions that uh, you were getting from investors from that side of the world? Because again, there's this thing called an Asian discount. So I don't know if you've ever heard of that, right? Valuation, the same motherfucking product, right? But because you're an Asian company, you're worthless. And that, that's because that's, that's even like exits in this region hover around 20 to 50 mil. That's nothing in the US, right? Um, what, 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 what's, uh, what were the questions like? And well, how, how fast was the, the deal flow like? Because typically here, it takes a while. And it's a Mexican standoff too. So when I say Mexican standoff, a lot of people are like, yeah, I like you, but who is the Pied Piper? I, I want to see who the Pied Piper is. Then we'll follow suit. For, for the U.S., what was that like? So my opinion is that the Asian discount is not so much a function of racial discrimination or anything like that, but it's more of a function of what's a pragmatic maximum economical scalability that a company may have in this region. And it just so happens that the GDP per capita in the Philippines is much smaller than some than in the States or yeah. many other countries. So I think it scales appropriately in that sense. Mm-hmm. So now the challenge is how do we actually show that despite that, maybe we have a huge market that we have access to, which I think we did a really good job in because of the underserved MSME market, there's, you know, uh, up to 17 million of them, if you were to include the unregistered or informal business owners. Yep. And we're all young. You know, we are the social media capital of the world. And if you were to kind of point to Indonesia, where five years ago, Gojek was just a call center. And now it's a billion plus dollar company. So the Philippines, from what I've heard, a lot of investors are looking at the Philippines as what Indonesia was five years ago. So yep. you can kind of like bring that to investors and show that there's a lot of opportunity, especially if you invest right now before you know, we become Indonesia as it is right now, um, as they are right now. Now, uh, I think that is what allowed us to really raise money and primarily from foreign investors. If you're to look, if you're to talk to local investors, which we were able to do both, the initial conversations we had with local investors wasn't very powerful. You could say like they, they were less bullish in their own home country, which is kind of very interesting. Right. But the moment we had a lot more foreign investors commit that actually gave us leverage to raise from local, which we thought was equally important because we, especially in the Philippines, it's a lot to do with who you know and yes. building that really strong network. And so we are fortunate to have been able to form, you could say, alliances locally. And we're and they're very, very supportive, even beyond the, the um, monetary contributions they've put into investment. Like they've actually opened up a lot of doors for us locally. So that's great. Um, if I may add, so, you know, those calls with international investors, I mean, so, some of the questions like they would ask, sometimes they would want to meet the both of us. Like for, again, for the most part, it was Don uh, as the CEO, just like doing his world tour basically. But sometimes they would want to be like, hey, I want to meet your co-founder too. So I would have to like wake up at like 4 a.m. and be like, hey, what's up? I'm Aldrich. Go back to sleep. <laughs> Half asleep, you know, just like, hey, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I do design stuff. Um, but I think 
what really really helped there was refining the pitch like crazy and I, I i don't even know how many times don has had to give the same pitch or adjusted versions of it but you have to really know your your product your market your plans in and out like like it was no tomorrow right so you can adjust on the fly and i think um uh and yeah shout, shout out to, to Artie for for helping us what up <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um yeah just being able to to refine that pitch and again convey those cultural nuances to, to the foreign investors because again with the, the initial like yc interviews it did not compute in their head how 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 disjointed the banking landscape it was here right and how many problems we we had to deal with and they're like why can't you just do this we're like because it doesn't exist or the technology is just not there people don't do it. it it's not a cultural thing um so being able to convey all of that stuff plus our plans in like less than like 10 15 minutes uh took a lot of work and again uh our, we, with the help of not just myself and don but um our other advisors and and again uh, our coach Artie, who who helped us with the storytelling of it that was ridiculous uh, i want to say two more things which is What's interesting is that if you were to raise money in the Western world and you were to raise a seed round, they look at a seed round, generally speaking, as something that like a company that's still trying to figure it out. Yep. They may not even have a working product, but if the, if the founders are great, they're willing to put money in there. And so we never not once showed any business plan, uh, any forecast, uh, none of that. Now, granted, this might be unique to Y Combinator, but I'd like to think that a lot of other uh, investors in that realm, in that world, kind of um, are okay with the concept of a seed round being like that. Once you raise a Series A, then you know obviously things change. You would yep. need to show numbers, sell sheets, et cetera, that, right? Yeah. But here in the Philippines, when you raise a seed round locally, they expect like you know forecasts, business model, or rather uh, a business plan, yep. you know, all these things that you would and traction. Expect. And traction. Yes, absolutely. Right. And so now the second thing I wanted to say was when we finally closed some investors in the foreign uh, in the foreign in the States and yeah. everywhere else that allowed us to raise locally in much more YC ish terms. Right. Mm -hmm. So safe, um, no need to show forecasts, et cetera. And so this particularly gives me hope because of the reason of now more foreign investors are investing in the Philippines. They're interested in this landscape in startups over here. Right. And as a result, it's now going to force local investors to have to compete or to at least match the investment standards of the West. Yep. That means if I am an investor here and I still expect to see a forecast or a business plan in a very early stage startup, I'm not going to be able to invest in that company because they can easily get money elsewhere right so i think it's going to slowly shift uh in you know to make the investment landscape in the philippines much better which i am really really happy about because i truly believe for the philippines to really be innovative we need to have a lot of local investors investing in their own local startups there's a lot of money around the philippines but they're locked up in traditional companies traditional families and traditional businesses that money can be disbursed maybe using Netspay too, <laughs> and that will, I think, improve our entire ecosystem. Uh, absolutely. And again, there, it just it's a domino effect, right? And I think it's starting to happen again. I've been in the game for 10 years now. So I've seen, I've been in 
really intense pitches with projections and shit for a $50,000 check. Imagine that. (laughs) Five, six, seven years ago. That's how intense it was. In the States, that's fuck you money. Right? Here, go. Share it out. Whatever. Right? I think what will happen is it's going to be a balance. And it's a good exercise also that early Asian companies should know their numbers. Right? Because if you don't know your numbers early, it's going to be hard to grow up and be a financially sound team because those are the things you're going to have to equip yourself with. And at the start, you were never exposed to that. So there's pros and cons to it, but it's a skill. Like you said, you have to have multiple skills and numbers should always be part of it, regardless of how bad you are with it, because it's what you sell to justify that valuation that you want. All right. Now, before I let you go, I'll just ask several questions that we need to know. Now, um, office hours, YC, right? We always talk about that and you, you get exposed to amazing mentors that, you know, not everybody gets a chance to, to, to meet. What's the best advice you got in YC? Huh. It's a lot. Okay. But if you can name a couple or a few, what would those be? I could start with one uh, as I come up and invent more as I go. I'm just kidding. Um, so let me, um, let's say you're, actually, I could come up with two now. Okay. Um, <laughs> with, with, the, with, the, with the whole office hours thing, um, right. make the most of it, right? This is, uh, for some, it might be once in a lifetime opportunity to, to really be a part of this program. Um, I mean, there's there's other founders who have gone through YC multiple times. That's fine. But make the most of the experience. And again, regardless if it's YC or any other kind of like accelerator program, just make the most of your mentor's time um, and, and, and the community. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, just just. Just be shameless in, in asking for advice in that sense because yep. they're there to help you and you just just milk it. Um, and then the next one is um, really lean on your team. If you have a team already, um, then great. Lean on them um, you know, to, to, to help you through all of this. You're, you're all in it together, right? Lean on your co-founder. Uh, have have that, that sort of trust with him or her or them um, and kind of divvy up the work like let them do what they're really good at doing and vice versa and cover more ground that way absolutely don so the idea that early on we would track signups as customers but every time a person would sign up they wouldn't necessarily use our product and rather they wouldn't necessarily pay for our because we are a pay-per-use service Mm -hmm. right so a customer is really someone who actually pays, not necessarily okay. a user. You could be a user, but not a customer. Yeah. So that distinction was very important for us. The thing I mentioned earlier, product market fit does not mean you know people are using you and that's that. Yeah. Um, product or people are paying for you. You might even be a million dollar company, but you may not actually have product market fit. Correct. So product market fit, as per the definition we discussed earlier, is you know, uh, that analogy of a fire hose that you're putting in your mouth, yep. very visual. I, I think the more <laughs> the more apt analogy would be like you're chasing a boulder as it's rolling down a hill and you can't keep up. Yep. So the another thing would be essentially to, oh yeah, do something unscalable uh, in the beginning, especially if you're st- trying to prove a model out. Right. So the most famous example would be Zappos. Zappos, uh, an online shoe store company early on, whenever someone would buy something 
from the Zappos store, they would literally have a, a person physically go to a store, buy the shoes there, and then ship it out. So they didn't even carry inventory. But that allowed them to prove a model. And then when they finally did, they were able to get and maintain their own inventory. For us, it was the manual sending money you know, to people under the hood. Mm-hmm. And lastly, I guess, build something people want. Uh, yes. I think a lot of people, they build something cool. But if no one is willing to, no one wants it, no one needs it, no one's willing to use it, then it's just a waste of opportunity. It's art. It's not a business. All righty. Now, all right. Last question. Now, if you were going to go back and, and, and look at it, um, I, what, on a personal note for each of, and every one of you, what were the skills that you now had to evolve with in that role and how were you able to keep up with how NextPay was literally a start of last year to what you are now? I think um, early on, you're really focused on being hands-on and building the product. You get into the nitty-gritty. Yep. But as the company evolves and grows, you end, your product ends up being the organization. Correct. Where in the beginning, you would think of like different modules in your app, different features. Mm-hmm. But as you grow, you think different teams. How do they work best together? How do these teams, two different teams, Co- coordinate if you're working, if they're both working towards the same feature or very complex feature, right? So I think even now we're still very, very early on. We're learning that as we go. Mm. And, you know, it's very important that we nail this down this early on, whether it be building the organization or the culture, mm. where we want to make sure that if we mess this up right now, it essentially sets the foundation in a very bad way for the future. So, yep. I think that's one of the key things. Eldridge? Yeah, um, I mean, plus one to what Don said, right? Like, uh, in the very beginning, you're so focused on product building. So you're using all those skills that you built over the years. I mean, for us as product builders, we're like, hey, actually, it's, it's happening. It's coming to use. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything that we've been doing. So it was like second nature to us. It was just easier in that sense because we were the only ones um, and we were accountable to each other, mm-hmm. to our really, really small team. Um, but as we started to add more and more and kind of diversify and, and build out the the organization, um, mm-hmm. obviously now there's like sales, there's like customer support and all that stuff. Right. We also had to learn what those um, departments needed. Uh, you know, like we, we had to at least do a deep dive and just understand from a, from a macro level, okay, what does this actually entail and who Mm. are the best people to put there? And then, okay, now let's go find those people and kind of depend on them to do it. But at the very, at the same time, we had to know enough, or at least the first principles of that, just so we knew what we were talking about. Uh, and so we could actually find those, the, the right people. Um, and I think, um, What's also very difficult, but uh, honestly, I think we've been so hashtag blessed to to, to be on on a, on a roll here is um, finding the right people and building a really really solid company culture. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's so difficult because if 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 you have like uh, some bad eggs, you know, this early on, it, it could it really yeah, it could really fuck it up for you, right? Uh, it's not like it's not necessarily going to be end the end for you, but it's it's really going to throw you uh, astray. Yeah. So we've been um, 
really reading as well on you know um, learning about people a bit of psychology mm-hmm. um, just understanding the whole hiring process and what makes a really good company culture um, as, apart from what we have learned and picked up over the years and so kind of to try and download that into our team as well and have them add and bring their own personalities their own values into this um, because it's just so crucial to, to, to the longevity of the co- company, then mm. yeah. And we're still learning how to do that and, and best do that, right? Because like Don said, now our products per se are, are also the teams that we're building. So how do we maintain that transition and, and the distribution of, I guess, that power and the knowledge, et cetera? All right. That is amazing. Again, thank you, Don and Aldrich. This is easily one of our longest episodes ever, but rightfully <laughs> So, but before I let you go, invite people over. What's next for next pay, and what uh, what are y'all building up so that people can take advantage? And if they want to use it, how do they reach out to you and where? Sure. So, from a product standpoint, uh, we're continuously listening to our current users um, so that we can improve our product. And so far, what we've it seems that we're in the right track. So we just need to keep improving our disbursement solution to help companies pay their suppliers and their employees um, we're adding more ways for them to do so we're adding things like being able to pay for their bills or subscriptions and so on um, the other side invoicing we're making it easier for companies to accept payments from their customers we're adding more payment methods we are also adding different mechanisms that allows businesses to collect so invoicing would be our primary one uh, we're just about to release, maybe by the time this you know broadcast is out, we'd have released payment links. So it's just an easier or a different way rather of collecting payments. And there are a few other projects that I can't quite say yet, but mm. they're ultimately going to, the idea, the goal is for us to handle 100% or hopefully most of the financial operations of any small business. And what we build will serve towards that. Yeah, and uh, if I may, sorry, Ron, to add more as well. Um, you know, we're we're in the position to help more fellow startups and, and entrepreneurs uh, as they continue or they start or continue their entrepreneurship journey uh, and building their company. So, um, you know, you guys, if you the listeners out there, if you're interested in using XP, go ahead and sign up. But we're also building this network of uh, of startups and MSMEs in the country to, to help each other and leverage other uh, leverage each other's strengths. So we're looking for more partners and collaborators, integrations, and all of that. So if you're interested, um, go ahead and email partners at nextpay.ph, uh, and we'd love to talk and see how we can kind of help each other up. Also, we're hiring. But yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I love so, it. yeah. All right. Again, thanks very much, guys. But before I let you follow us on every podcast app, you're listening to it in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and whatnot. Again, if we did say some jargon, don't worry. We got you in the show notes. You go to hustleshare.com to check and check out this episode. So you'll see what the hell we actually talked about if you didn't understand about what we said. And again, if you want to be part of all the other Hustle Share listeners, it's going to be in the community and Hustle Share in Facebook. So you can just join it and talk about what we just discussed here in this episode. Again, Don and Aldrich, thank you very much. It's our pleasure. Thank you so much, Ronster. That was fun. All right. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.